I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Nice buns. Soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Available on Amazon.com, Walmart.com, and at Hero.co. That's H-E-R-O dot C-O. Delicious, ultra-low net-carb Hero Bread buns and tortillas. Soft and fluffy, high in fiber, and with zero grams of sugar, up to 10 grams of protein, coming in at under 100 calories. Order today at Hero.co and use the code AH10 to get 10% off your first purchase. That's AH10 at Hero.co, H-E-R-O dot C-O. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10, H-E-R-O dot C-O. We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. The expectation was that everyone has to become something and, and help each other. We were 10. We did. After a while, our, our father and mother, they retired and we were supporting them. I supported them almost till, till they died. We were trained to support each other. So that's, we still do that today. I have one in Vegas as a doctor. I have one in Lon- London as a, a lawyer. I, you know, we have one in Sweden as an engineer as well, living in Sweden with me. So we are scattered all over the place. I have some in Nigeria as well. So we were trained to help each other, to stand by each other. So you don't look practically any different <laughs> from when I last saw you, which is like so many years ago. It's about a quarter of a century ago. Yeah. It's incredible. So I need to know your secret, that's all. But uh, I want to start off by saying that you are Dr. Alban. Your real name is Alban Ensomo Enwapa. 
Yeah. And oh. names in Africa often have a meaning. So what is the meaning of your name? Uzoma is it's a it's a it's a good pathway, a path the right way to go. <laughs> that's the right the, the, the right path to walk on. Okay, that's one of it. What about Alban? Is there a, a meaning to that? Alban is English name. Oh right, okay. So that was St. Yeah, Alban, yeah, we over all over the long, all over London, St. Alban and all that. <laughs> so that's a bit of a religious name, I think. St. Albans, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um what was growing up in Nigeria Nigeria like? Because you grew up in a very small town, didn't you? Uguta. Yes. Um, can you sort of describe it to me for someone who's never been, never been to, you know, a small village in Africa to really understand what it was like growing up there and, and what was there? What was there was not much there. The infrastructure is, you know, the, the little, little or no infrastructure. Running waters were kind of not too much running waters and electricity was not too much and um dogs in the street running up and down <laughs> people don't own those these dogs and um of course i went to school there and um everybody everyone knows everyone well that that's pretty much what it is was that is that good or is that bad when everyone knows everyone it's good security wise it's good because if anything happens you can you know who to talk to you know who to go to it's good somehow but then you you, you cannot go you cannot mess up you cannot do anything wrong if you do anything wrong everyone knows you <laughs> so what did you do what that was wrong when you were young <laughs> we don't say that Steve <laughs> okay we part politely pass over that one <laughs> You, yeah, you, yeah. Grew, you grew up in a large family, didn't you, with, with many brothers yeah. and sisters. How many people were in your family? Ten, five brothers and five sisters. And, and where were you? Were you in the middle or? In the office? middle. I'm in the middle. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a shitty position to be in. I know. I know. In the middle, you know. So what was it? Was there sort of a fight for attention from your parents? Because I think in a big family, quite often... There's a little bit of competition in the family to get, you know, you want mum to do this or dad to do this. So you're trying to get their attention. Was it like that? And were you someone who had to fight for attention at that point? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, attention. There was a lot of competition, but um, we were taught that we shouldn't do that. So we, we grew up not trying to fight each other. So whenever anybody wants to fight, the dad or mom will be saying, no, 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 no. But it was it was competition because everybody wants everybody wants to eat that everybody wants to sleep in that particular room everybody wants to be in that bed and all that but we were taught not to do that. So, you know, if you say that your parents gave you that as something that not to be in competition, yeah. what else did they would you say from your childhood leave you with that has stayed with you your whole life? What sort of you know, morality or what sort of ideas did they give well, you that have stayed? Well, the, the, the first thing he said, he was not that rich. And um, he said, you are 10. The, what I will say is that everyone will be educated. I wouldn't buy a Rolls Royce. I wouldn't build big house or anything like that. But education is the key to success. Education is, that's exactly what is going on in Africa. If people were educated, it would be easy to understand what's going on, but illiteracy is causing so much problem. And 
if I were, if I was to be a president of Nigeria or president of Africa or wherever, I will make sure that education, everybody will go to school. Just like in Sweden, if you, if you don't go to school, the police will come and get you. In, in Nigeria, that's not the case. So education is all. That's the basic. So my mom and my dad, they promised all 10 of us education. And we did get that. And that is not even a small education. Everyone is a graduate of a university. From, from the 10 of us. We are doctors, lawyers, and engineers and all that. So, and they taught us that it's very good that we learn how to speak out, tell the truth, and be straightforward. That's what I got from them. What sort of music was played in the household? What sort of music did your parents listen to? Well, they listened to the local stuff that was played in the village there. And then um, we did listen to the big Nigerian act, Felakuti, Felaransamkuti. Sonia Day and all that, you know, so we did listen to them as well. I mean, fellow Kuthi was the father of Afrobeat. He was uh, also quite politically minded and yeah, yeah. social minded. Yeah. So how, how important was that part of his music to you growing up to have those ideas about your society? He, he, was, he was good. And uh, I listened to Fela Kuti all the time. Uh, he, one, of, one of the guys I did listen to was Fela Kuti. So his political speeches and lyrics and all that, you know, you know, every Nigerian liked him. He not only not only Nigeria, he in Africa and the, and the world. So Felakuti did influence my 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 way of thinking definitely. What about your brothers and sisters in terms of what they listen to? Um, because I mean, I, I'm I was brought up in a family with two brothers. I'm the youngest, and obviously. You know, my eldest brother was a Beatles fan. My other brother liked sort of, oh God, which music that I really didn't like at the time, which was American sort of folk type music. <laughs> and 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 I sort of grew up in the in the Bowie era, you know. So Bowie was my sort of first hero. So what sort of music did they sort of bring to you? And then what was the moment where you changed your musical tastes? Well, um, we did listen to this local Nigerian music and then we did listen to Fela, all, everybody together and all that. But as we grew up, we, we started listening to what was going on in the 70s in America. We started listening to like the Cool and the Gang, Diana Ross, James Brown and all that. And all of us, all the whole family did listen to that. So we grew up listening to the same music. Definitely. I mean, when I hear that, that you grow up in a sort of family that has five brothers and five, there are five boys and five girls. You're one of 10. Yeah. And there must've been some big social, um, well, so, I mean, I find it a really nice thing that there you have a huge family and you're probably never bored because you've always got someone around. Yeah. Probably always busy. Um, is that something that you look back at and say, that is something that was very special today, just to look back at that and say to be brought up in such a large family was a really good thing? Or is it something that you look back and go, actually, I'm glad I don't have that? No, it's not really. I live in Sweden. I have two kids. I have uh, two kids. And um, when I look back, I said, oh, we were 10. Now I have only two. Sometimes I feel that there was more togetherness in my family than the one I have now. The one I have now is just two girls, one 18, one 14. So 
they, they were, they were, they, they, there was more togetherness. There, I mean, there was always somebody there. There was always somebody to look after you. There was somebody you have to talk to, to talk to. I, I, I prefer the the big family <laughs> than the small family. I mean, were there different expectations of life? Do you think being in that type of family? Well, um, the expectation was that everyone has to become something and, and help each other. That was the expectation. We were 10. We did. After a while, our, our father and mother, they retired and we were supporting them. I supported them almost till, till they died. Both of them, they, they passed. So we, 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 were, we were trained to support each other. So that's, we still do that today. I have one in Vegas as a doctor. I have one in London as a lawyer. You know, we have one in Sweden as an engineer as well, living in Sweden with me. So we are scattered all over the place. I have some in Nigeria as well. So we were trained to help each other, to stand by each other. So you were, you were brought up and educated in this small town. And then eventually um, you and I presume also your brothers and sisters started traveling. So where did you go? Where did you uh, dream of going? And then where did you go? Well, I ended up in Sweden. I left Nigeria. I came to Sweden. I was visiting a, a, an uncle that was working in the Nigerian embassy in Stockholm. So I ended up here. I was to do this dentistry five years and go back. But that didn't happen. I stayed here. And then under the time I was doing this, this dentistry, this course in the university, I was... I lacked a lot of money. I didn't have money. I had to DJ in between records. I had to DJ in between the studies as well and um, to make money to support the studies. And that got me into music. And that's why I never went back. So going back to when you first came to Sweden, what were your feelings? Can you remember the first day that you were in Sweden and what your feelings were? Because, I mean, just on a weather basis, hold it, hold it, hold it. You know, you go from one of the hot places of the world to one of the cold places of the world. Yeah. And, it, you know, I mean, it sounds superficial and everything, but it makes a big difference. You know, when you when you go somewhere and it's really cold, it's, you do feel closed and isolated. And, it, you know, there's a different mentality yeah. that goes with the weather often. So what were your first impressions of, of Sweden? Cold. That, that's a short one. <laughs> Very cold. But such nice people. I mean... If you think about living in Europe where they don't speak English, everyone spoke English in Sweden. Everybody, it's like Germany, if you go to Germany, you find it, some people do, some people wouldn't. In Spain, it's the same, Italy is the same. But in Sweden, everybody speaks English. Just like you go to Netherlands, most of you will speak English. So I liked it a lot. It did help me a lot. So if I find myself in a country where nobody spoke English, it would have been very difficult. But it was cold, ice cold. Now, you, you know, you said that you, you DJed in a club. I think that was Alphabet Street. But the, yeah. the, the fact that you, you don't just become a DJ. So was that the first job you had or did you do other things? Or how did you actually become uh, a DJ? Yeah, that's a good question. I was actually a cleaner in this club. And the day the DJ didn't show up, the owner told me, you have to jump in for him. So how do I do that? Never DJed before, never changed records before. But all he said, just go, do the best you can. So I had to jump. So 
I became a DJ because the DJ never showed up. So I jumped in. <laughs> so me, the mix, the mixes were horrible. The, the, the song, the, the tracks were stopping in between. People were wondering what the hell is going on. So you can imagine the beats, the BPM, the tempos were, the variation in the tempos were horrible. But at the end of the day, there was no DJ and someone has to do it. I did it. So after that, the, the club when I said, oh, next time you try again, next time you try again, that was it. That's how I, I continued, continued, and I had to learn how to do it. <laughs> at the end of the day, I became one. I mean, that's amazing because normally when you fail at something like that, you know, the audience are very pleased <laughs> and they don't want you back because you're not really, got, you know, you're not really gathering an audience. Um, yeah, yeah. How did they react to you, the audience? They, we, we had to tell them what, what what happened, that the DJ didn't come and somebody has to do the job. They they understood that. And um, and I was I had a, a headphone and I was listening to the tracks and I, I could say, oh, I remember he plays this one. Oh, I remember he played that one. Oh, I remember, you know. So I was just, with my headphone, I was listening and then playing what I felt that I, I knew he was playing. That was it. And at the end of the day, he, he was okay. So you actually, when you took over then, you, you actually used the records of the permanent DJ that didn't yeah, turn yeah. up, I presume. So you you had known from, you know, cleaning what he was playing in the background. Yeah, well, then you just sort of chose some of the same records um, and and played them. What what was different about his musical taste to your musical taste? <laughs> well, I, I became influenced because I, I had to play exactly what I... I, I to, through my headphone that what oh I remember this he used to play this so I, I became influenced with what he was playing because I know that's what people like that's why they came to the club so I had to stick to that so once I oh I remember this okay oh I remember this okay that was it so when did the moment come that you said to yourself because I imagine it was then and not even later with with uh, actually making records but even then at that point you must have started to enjoy yourself as being a DJ was there a moment where you started to enjoy that side of life more than going and studying dentistry? Yeah, after after this DJ thing, and then I started. You know, I was interested in it, and I wanted to take it take it further. I wanted to move further with this, so I opened this club, Alphabet Street. And um, Alphabet Street was not this club that the DJ didn't show up. It was another club. So after that. I I got interested. I was became interested in that. I said, okay, let's do let let's let's do this Alphabet Street, and I'll be the DJ. And as well in this Alphabet Street, Dennis Pop played with me. Robin Ross also did play with me in different days. You know? So when I played, I was I used to change records. I used to talk in between and um, rap or talk, and it was just all not good at all. It wasn't good at all. But Dennis Pop saw it and said. On, we should do something with this. So I said, okay, I, I thought he was joking. And then I got the beat, empty beat, Hell Africa. And I said, come on, this sounds, this track is, it has some jungle drums in it. The, the title must be something with Africa to do. So I started writing on the lyrics. And then I called the song, Hell Africa, tell me how you're doing. And then that, that was it. So, okay, let's go back a little bit because that, that 
You'd, Robin Raz had already been successful with with Leila Kay. There's, you know, I think only a sort of couple of years before mm. you were successful with Hello Africa that they'd had their success. So they were already doing well. Dennis Pop had already really started and to sort of garner a name himself, hadn't he? At that point, yeah, he, but he was he didn't do much that time. I mean, just like me and him, we only we only 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 known people were Robin Raz and Leila Kay. So Dennis Pop was just a, a DJ. He was a DJ, trained DJ. And I was just starting. So with Dennis Pop, you you sat down and you wrote Hello Africa. Who contributed what? How does how did that work, that process of work happen between you? He just gave me the beat. He did the beat already. He just gave me the beat. And when I listened to the beat, I had some jungle tribal drums on the, uh, on it. And I said, it, ha- it has to be something to do with Africa. So the lyrics must be something to do with Africa. So I went home with the with the with the demo. The demo he gave me. There was no vocals, no melody, no nothing. It was just the breath. So I went home, I wrote, and I came back, and then after one or two weeks, and then we recorded it. So where were you with your studies at that point? Um my studies that that was um I have I finished 87, 1987, graduated 1987. The Hill Africa thing came 1989 and was released 1990. So I got that demo 89 from Dennis Pop. And the, the Alphabet Street, I was running it from 86. Under the time I was studying as well. So I graduated 87. So had you started work as a dentist by then? Had you actually started? I did work 87, 88 as a dentist one year. And then in the studio, 80, 80, 89. And then when the track got big, 1990, I left the dentistry, just left it. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, that is a huge decision because that, you know, it's one track. Yeah. And I know it's a great track and I know it really, you know, it launched your career. But it yeah. may not have launched your career. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah, yes. So, how aware were you that you were taking a risk, or did you think, "Oh, well, I can always go back and be a dentist. It's easy." Yes, of course. If you have the if you have the certificate, you have the degree, you can always go back. Even today, I can fall back to it if I want. But when the song got big, it was difficult to do the two of them at a time because of the traveling. I was traveling a lot, so I just definitely need to. Quit dentistry. What I loved about that track was there there was this sort of longing in the lyrics for Africa. Yeah. Was that what was in your heart at the time? Can you just sort of describe that and tell me about that? It's it's like 
when I had the track, I just said it, it has to, yeah, it has to, it has to be something with Africa to do. And I went home and was writing one or two weeks. I, I don't remember exactly how long it took, but um, I felt that this is exactly what is going on. It's, it's a good question you ask now, Steve, because Africa and Africans don't understand that unity. You can't do nothing without uniting. You can't do nothing without being in peace with each other. Nothing happens. So I had to tell them to unite, stop fighting, stop forcing and fighting and unite. And you, then you should be able to do things together. This tribe is fighting the other tribe and that tribe. That's why I meant that the Manika tribe, the Hausa tribe, the Fulani tribe, the Buya tribe in, this, in the tribe. Because these tribes are always fighting each other because of a, a fucking piece of land. And the, the only way out is to unite. I mean, we, when we are in Europe, probably Sweden and Denmark will be, will be fussing and fighting. But the next day, they are sitting down drinking coffee. That's how it is. Yeah, over here, is, people drink coffee. People might argue in the parliament. In the parliament, they sit down there, they argue. But when they get, when they get out of the parliament, they're drinking coffee. And that's exactly the tone I wanted to set in Africa, telling them, stop the fussing and fighting, unite. Because without unity, nothing goes on. And that's exactly what is going on in Africa today. No unity, no development. One thing about that track is that it wasn't an instant success. You had to really work on it to be, to be uh, a, a success. What, what did you have to do? Because I know that you, you've, you have immense drive. You're one of those people that I know has immense drive. Because I remember when I worked for MTV, that the boss of MTV came to me one day and said, you won't believe who's just called me. And you had called him to ask him to put Hello Africa on the playlist. Now, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. that, that's, that's unusual. It isn't really, it might be the management, it might be the record company, but it's not really the artist who phones up and says, I know, I know. Please play my track. So where does that drive, do you think, where do you think that drive comes from? And what did you have to do to make that song successful? Well, um, that drive is uh, is very very important. I believe that the artists themselves sometimes you have to speak out and get to get to a point where you associate yourself with radio, TVs, and all that. So I I did that in Sweden. I, I went round with the record to different labels in Sweden. I did that. The the the, the label didn't do it. The Dennis Pop didn't do it. He was just sitting down there as a as a DJ. So that the song got big. And that Dennis Fogg was able to produce more other stuff is because I did the work. I did the groundwork. I, I, I ran around with the, with the song to different levels. Finally, it got released and sold like six, 7,000 copies a day. And uh, I, I called MTV. I called everyone. I even called you. I have good contacts with you. I had good contacts with everyone in MTV, Simone and all that. I, I, you know, that, that's, the way, that's the only way out. I cannot be hiding behind the label that will do, you know, it's good to have a good contact with the, the artists and the label and the radio and TVs as well. I just felt that and it, it did work out. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply. to ask you the uh, one part of that question again, because of the drive, where do you think that drive came from 
in your life? Do you think that that's something that you inherited from your your parents or where was it? Mother and father, right. You got it. Yes. That drive came from my parents. Yes, he did. And their drive was what? To give you a better life, to give their uh, family a better life. You, you should speak out. You should try. You should work out. You, you can get it if you really want it, but you have to try. You have to try. You have to strive. You have to work out. You have to. Do, you can't sit down and, and want things to, work, to, to, to happen when you don't do nothing. <laughs> if you do something and it do, if it doesn't work, then you know that you've done something, but you cannot sit down and wait for something to happen when you haven't done anything. So I didn't really believe I didn't really believe in, in, in the label to do those, those things for me. I did I did most of the job myself. It's amazing. Uh, Eddie Grant also had a track called Hello Africa. Was that something that you you um had it sort of inspired you, or was it something that you you knew about even at that time? I knew about the song, but when I when I listen to the when I listen when you listen to the Grant and listen to mine, my track is is, is a lot of African drums in them. So yeah, yeah, I needed, I needed to talk up a lot of politics. Even in in El Africa, I was say, I talked about Mandela. I talked about Martin Luther King. Mandela had a dream and all that. Martin Luther, Martin Luther King had a dream. And what 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 it really was was that it does not really the, the proverb in the song El Africa. It does not really matter whether a cat is black or white. What really matters is for the cat to catch a mouse. So. What 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 does it matter who you are, white or black or that or that or whatever you are? Who cares? It's it's for you to get the job done. But the the cat is to catch the mouse. Even the cat is black or white or whatever the cat is, it doesn't matter. So that's what it is. Eventually, you came to a, a having a contact with Logic Records in Frankfurt, didn't you? Yeah, she is. I think they were the ones who were probably the most responsible for getting a video made and to get that right. video promoted. And that video was made with Paul Boyd, who later yeah. uh, worked with, uh, I think it was one of his first videos, and later he worked with Lenny Kravitz and Kylie Minogue. So it was a, a push in his career as well. What do you remember yeah. about that video shoot, and why do you think that video worked? We, 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 shot, we shot that video in Africa, in Kenya. And uh, I liked it. He, he was he was very strict in his in his in his in his approach. He was strict. He was he said, "You do this. You go there. You there there was there there was no storyboard. So a big storyboard that we worked with at all. When when we got to Kenya, when we got to Africa, we he, he was like impulsive. He was like, "We do this. We do that. We do that." Because we didn't really follow any storyboard. So he was strict. I liked him a lot for that. And the, the video came out very good. It was one of the best videos at that particular time. It was something that was very different. That's yeah, why yeah, I think it really worked. Yeah, 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 something very different about it to other videos that were being made at that time. You yeah. say that he was strict, and that's something that you really liked. That's yeah. something that you are. That's something that your father is. Yeah. And what was the reaction of your father to the fact that you were becoming a pop star and you'd given up dentistry, something that he obviously wanted you to become. They did not like it in the beginning. They didn't like it. What did he say to you? They, they always thought that pop stars are drinking a lot. Pop stars are on drugs. This is, this is a common thing that people think. 
you know, the pop stars are drinking, drunkards are drinking, they are, they are doing this, they are doing that. But drinking and, 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 and drugs, two, two most important things they, they said. So they thought I would find myself there and said, no, 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 no. And then when the song got bigger and bigger and they sit down in Nigeria and see the video, watch the video, and people were calling them, say, oh, I just saw, I saw your, your son on MTV. The video was on MTV and all that. So gradually they started accepting the situation. And uh, at the end of the day, it became okay. After uh, like 91, 92, when, when it's my life came, that was like the, the boom. And they, they, they accepted it immediately. You say that they accepted it immediately, but it's my life had, what were the lines in it's my, it's my life, take it or leave it, set me free. What's that crap? Papa, know it all. I've got my own life. You've got your own life. Live your own life and set me free. I, you know, if I was your dad, I heard that. I think <laughs> I don't know if I'd be that pleased. I mean, that was a that that was you ex expressing your your freedom away from your no. family and and your previous life, as it were. So, <laughs> how did they react to those lyrics? I didn't. I I I I. I I think that they didn't really listen to the lyrics. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think so. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> but the, I mean, the thing is that, so they were able to become proud of you for something else. That's really where it led, was it? Yeah. And at the same time, I think with a couple of years to come after that, after the release of Israel Africa, they, 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 they still saw me as their son and that I was not drinking. When I come home to Nigeria, I visit every Christmas. I visit them every Christmas. So I went home 90, I went 91, 92, 93, before they passed, 94. So they saw that I wasn't drinking and I, and, and, and I wasn't taking any drugs. So they were happy with the situation. I mean, they weren't that wrong. I mean, pop stars do drink and do take drugs. <laughs> I mean, you don't. And I'm sure there are lots of others that don't, but there are certainly lots that do. So I sort of I can understand if they have a fear of that, why they had a fear of that. Because yeah. There's some truth to it as well. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the fact that you had that distance, that physical distance from Sweden to Nigeria was, was the reason that you could finally follow something that your heart was really into? Do you know what I mean? Because I think once you get away from the parents and once you're out of their reach in a way, it sets you a little bit free from being the child. You become the adult and you become the one who chooses what they want in their life. Yeah, definitely. That, that's true. But what, 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 what could they do? They couldn't have done anything because I was four or 5,000 kilometers away from them. And, I, and I, what can I do? I, all I have to do is to be a good citizen. And this is my new home. You know, when I abide to the rules and regulation around me and be a good citizen. I always strive to be that, and I, I'm still the same, trying to be a good citizen of, of, of Sweden. And um, I have a Swedish passport, living here for so many years now. So that's how it is. If you're in Rome, you behave like the Romans, wherever you are. And that's what I believe in, and I think everyone should do that. How did you... You know, at that point, I mean, with It's My Life, because that became such a phenomenal um, success. Yeah. And that track was the thing that sort of really established you. You had the first one with Hello Africa, but It's My Life was the one that then 
really established a career, I think. And it also brought you attention. It brought you fame. I presume it was the first stirrings of some money as well. So it was was a change in your your life. How did you deal with that change in your life? Well, it was a lot of money on, from that track, sold so much. Even today, the money I still get from this track, you can, you can imagine. And this track has been remixed a lot. And this track has been used in commercials, like the Tampax commercials and in the UK and um, in many other countries. It's huge. And still, people are still remi- remixing this track. And it's been in so many commercials all over. Denmark is using it even now as we talk. There's a commercial with it in Denmark now. It's my house that like they are using it for. It's it's a, it's like a, a furniture company that using it now. So great track and um, generated so much money. When I talked to um, Mikael Munzing, who you probably know from Frankfurt, that's yes, right, from that. Snap, yes, um, he told me that the power made him three hundred million. Which is such a for not euros, which is such a phenomenal amount of money. Yeah. I mean, was it is it in that region because it's such a big song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. It is. It's. It's still. The thing is that it's still generating so much money today. It did really. It's. It's difficult to tell you how much money he made, but it was a lot of money, and so many tours, so many touring here and there, that this this. This track generated so much touring. Even now, the 90s is big everywhere. So radios and TVs played commercials and big track all time. You, you could live with this track. I wouldn't even do any other thing. I mean, you went on to have a number of other hits with No Code, with Sing Hallelujah, and it goes on with quite a few hits. Talking, yeah. One yeah, look, it's all, and it went up to about 1997, um, I think. Yeah, around that. Yeah. That sort of those years. Now that's a you know in pop history that's a long time. I yeah. mean, many pop stars have like around about four years maximum yeah. in terms of their their longevity, their success, or yeah. their big successful years. Let's put it that way. And then in '97, you know, for you, it sort of changed. Along comes different styles, and and you know, then you, you you're out in a certain to a certain extent. Bit like I was with MTV, you know, like there was a certain period of being in, and then you're out. Now, I remember when that period when my career was inverted commas a little bit over, um, I would be recognized as MTV. Oh, look, there's MTV, there's Steve Blaine from MTV. And it was always in connection with my past that I felt a bit detached to, and it wasn't me anymore. So how was that for you in those years after the main, you know, success, did you feel dis- a disconnect to who you, uh, wh- how you were perceived and who you were as a person at that point? Well, it's apparently the same thing, but um, when you walk in the streets, you see people say, hello, Africa, they're screaming. There are two songs they always sing, one sing. It's my life and hello, Africa. So people are singing this track, or even today, in the street, in Stockholm, this is hello Africa. You look back at somebody shouting. They, they, they wouldn't call you Dr. Alban. They wouldn't call you your name, Alban. They would say hello Africa, you know. So that's that's been a part of me, and uh, it's nothing I can do about it. It's, it I'm stuck with that. 
but you're stuck with it in a good way, in a sense, aren't yeah. you? Because yeah. there's also that period, there's that period where there's a lull. And it does seem to, like in life, you say the 90s are back in, you know, uh, there was, we had a long period of the 80s back in. And all these artists, uh, including you, sort of come back in waves over the years yeah. and, and have a sort of rebirth, as it were, which is sort of what's happened to you because of that, of all these uh, things are in. Um, how do you deal with it differently today than back then? Because the first time that you achieve all these things, the first time that you get money, the first time that you get fame and success, you deal with it a little bit differently because it's new and you don't really know what to do. That's my per perception of it. Later, when it comes again, it's it doesn't feel so important. You can deal with it in a different way. How do you approach it today that's different to back then? Well, th this is this is one of the it's a good question though, see, because uh, when it's big and hot, you know, you just don't know how to deal with it. And then you're probably also younger at that particular time. So things, you know, and that's how many artists, many pop stars stick and take to drugs and alcohol because it's difficult. They find it difficult to manage the situation in, in which they are. And then I never took to that drugs and alcohol. I never did that. And um, when the careers finished, just as you, we were talking about you between for you and in MTV and for me, like 1997, or when the career will go, will go down or, or went down, what do you do? If you're still not stable enough, you, you will take to more drugs and more alcohol because that fame is not there anymore. You are not in the, you are not in the front page anymore. You are not in the radio every day like you were before you are not in the TV. So it, it was easy for me to handle it because I never... I wasn't dealing with alcohol. I wasn't dealing with drugs. It was more, a little bit easier for me to do. But if you are already dealing with it when you were artists and big and everything was huge, um, and suddenly it's no more there, the tendency that you increase your alcohol consumption or drug consumption is there. So I felt good that I wasn't dealing with that. But, okay, that's, in a way, it's like you have this enormous drive and then, in a sense, the drive where you've put that drive is taken away. And I understand your point that some people, yeah, they go in a different direction. I did it myself. You go in a different direction. But you still need to find something that fulfills you. You need to find something where you can put your drive and where you feel comfortable and where you feel your life is important for you. So what was that? What did you find at that point? Was there something else? Was it a family? Was it I, I don't know. Where, where, did, where did you put your drive at that point? Family. Family. I, I, I came to a point, I said, okay, I, I, my, 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 my oldest one is 18. Actually, well, I was late in, in getting kids. I was late. So I felt that, okay, I was doing this traveling and all that. I, it was my priority at that particular time. And when the career went down a little bit, 1997, I said, come on. Old enough to get kids, wife and all that. So I stuck to that. I said, okay, this is what I have to do. And then that I will still be touring and doing music part-time and things like that. So family was, family was it. That was it. Your, the answer to your question is family. So your father was very strict. Your father wanted you to have an education. Yeah. What? 
did you want, or do you want, I mean, if your child is 18, I presume he's started going to university by now, what do you want for your children? What did you install in them that is the same or that is different from what your father installed in you? That education. Education. And uh, they're doing very well. They're doing absolutely very well. They have A in everything. So education. And that is what I still feel that is needed in most developing countries. Education is it. Without education, these countries will remain undeveloped. That's the difference between the so-called developed countries and underdeveloped countries. The developed countries, everyone is educated. The underdeveloped countries, people are not educated. And people are not forced to be educated. And if people are forced to be educated, they will make correct decisions, who to vote for and what to do. But whose fault is it that they're not educated? Is it the systems in Africa or is it the Western world which has taken all the resources of Africa? I don't know. It's um, it's so many reasons, Steve. But um, I think that all the presidents of Africa should give free education to at least at least secondary school level. If you don't give a free education to university level, do it at secondary after elementary school. Do it at elementary school even or second. But in Nigeria, millions of kids are out of school. In Africa, millions of kids are out of school. So, so what happens is that one rich man comes to a village in Africa. I said, hey, there's an election. You have um, this money, one pound each. You vote for this party. They don't even know what the party stands for. They don't know what, who the party, who is the, who is, who is the man, the figurehead in the party. But they have been given money. They are, not, they are not educated. They don't have TV. They don't have radio. They don't have nothing. So this is the problem. Education remains, for development, education remains the key. You've also been involved in sort of education campaigns. You know, the, we, I mentioned the Trap No Coke, you know, yes. uh, earlier. Um, there was also, you also re-recorded Hello Africa as Hello Sweden during the, the mist of, of COVID, didn't you, for people to wear, yeah. wear masks. So you've been involved, you're, you've often been involved in... Uh, education things but i want to leave you with a question which i i find really fascinating because you know with all your background being brought up in nigeria with this very big family with your father installing this moral of 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 work of getting an education in your life and then at in your 20s you becoming a pop star and you mentioned that your son is 18 what's going to happen when he's 23 and he turns around to you and says dad i'm giving up <laughs> being a doctor I'm going to make music. What would you say to him? Uh, well, it's a girl. What I'll say to her, what I'll say to her is that you can't force anybody to do anything. So not he, not even in Africa, not even in Sweden. So what I would do is I will try to talk sense into her, into her, tell her what I think is right to do, and then the, the decision is hers. She's 18 now. She's going to be 18 now. So I can, I, I can, it's her life just as the song is. It's, it's her life. <laughs> so I will just try to talk sense. That's the, that's the only thing I could do. And then after that, she has to make that decision. Now, Dennis Pop was obviously uh, a very important person in your career mm -hmm. um, and life. 
And when he when he passed, how much of, effect, of an effect did that have on you as a person? Well, um, all we created, the sound, the sound we created and the way we did it, all that, we, well, I had to start looking for somebody else to replace him. It was a difficult time. And um, I, get, I think he passed 96. So, and after 94, when we did look at Stalking, that period of two years, he was really, he did a sub base, he did Backstreet Boys, he did, was busy. So I said, I said to myself, come on, we opened the gate for lots of people, lots of the Swedish dance music, the European dance music, even the world dance music came in. He, he started producing so many people, but me and him did open the gates for a lot of people. So it was a, he was missed. He's still being missed today. So I started looking for somebody else, but it's difficult to get somebody as good as Dennis Pop. He was, was a genius. Well, I'll leave you with this. I'm going to be in Sweden soon, and we're going to meet probably because I'm going to be there at this Dennis Pop. Not Pop probably. Event. Not probably. We're going to meet. That's it. So listen, I want to thank you because you made some tracks. You made some amazing, great pop music tracks of uh, of an era when I was on MTV, and they were part of the MTV playlist because you made sure they were. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, um, and I'm really happy for you that they're, they're still paying off today and that you obviously have uh, a good life in a country that has adopted you and that you have adopted. So, Dr. Alm, thanks very much, and I'm going to see you at the Dennis Pop event because I'm sure you're going to be there. Yeah, 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 definitely. We we need to meet, definitely. It's been a long time, yeah. Up there is an interview I recommend. Down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews, and here is where you can connect. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.